Welcome to 2021. And to get us going, Kate Save, CEO and founder of BeFit Food. For those of us looking to shed a few COVID lockdown kegs, some of the science behind BeFit Food and also the weight loss problems that Kate and her team are solving can be found in this motivational interview with Kate. A great place to kick off the year. Healthy body, healthy mind. We also get into Kate's entrepreneurial journey, including obtaining investment from the TV show Shark Tank. But don't be fooled. As Kate will tell you, Shark Tank is all glamorized for TV. The reality is that behind the scenes, it is all hard work. No luck in it, just hard work. Kate had a bit of a tough upbringing when it came to money, but she found a business problem and more than being motivated by money, she was passionate about her business and wanted to give each and every customer an easier solution. As Kate says, we don't want the customer for life. We want the customer to be successful. What a way to kick off the year. Episode 40 of Discipline, brought to you by Edison Partners. Enjoy our conversation. Kate Save, CEO, BeFit Food, welcome to Discipline. Thank you, Tony. When you were daydreaming back in junior school, primary school, what did, you, what did you think about your future self, where you were going to be? Well, I actually won this little trip when I was in high school to go and stay at a university for two nights. And whilst I was there and immersed in what this uni life was, I thought, oh, I want to go to uni. I don't know what I want to do. They put us in a lecture theatre and I watched a movie about Walt Disney. And I walked out of there going, what was that word they said? Entrepreneur. I had no idea of what it was, but that's what I thought I wanted to be. And that was, yeah, uh, more than 30, yeah, I don't know, long time <laughs> no, no, ago, 25 like... years ago, something like that. And um, ever since then, I've been really inspired by the idea of creating your own destiny, your own path. And So it's interesting because looking through your sort of career, it didn't look like you came straight to entrepreneurialism, although you took looks like a lot of different jobs and for some of them it seemed that you maxed out after two years and moved on to something else is that is that a feature of your entrepreneurial spirit finding something and then going for the next fresh field well i must say so i started working at the legal age of 14 and nine months i had seven casual jobs by the time i was 17 and still in high school I'd started my own little business on the side uh, as soon as I got my first personal training qualification. So I was doing that alongside my other jobs. And as the other jobs got busier and busier, I started to appreciate that I really enjoyed working for myself on my own time more. And at that point, I, you know, I moved um, from working in the corporate world to starting up my own gym and that gym then progressed into um, a center which had 23 staff every health profession from physios osteos dietitians ex-phys diabetes educators massage we did boot camps we did all the classes and i had that for six years before i had my first child and um at that point, I really learned what busy was as yeah. I <laughs> tried to juggle it all. So tell me, I mean, it's interesting, you know, you go and buy and invest in houses at a young age. Was there something about money or making money that, uh, you know, was central to how you wanted to view yourself or what you wanted to achieve? 
Yeah, my dad had always told my sister and I that no matter what we do, if we loved what we did, we'd be able to make a successful life out of it. And we, he said, don't be like him. And he'd always hated his job. He'd yeah. hated working. He worked really hard but never really got far with it. And um, I think being teased as a kid for not having any money, my parents had – my mum had a secondhand clothing shop and she still has that 30 years later. And my dad um, lost his corporate job and um, tried to start his own business and failed after three years. We had to sell up nearly everything except the house we were living in. We ended up keeping and he opened the newspaper, looked for the first job that he could find. It was actually mobile knife sharpening. Yeah, right. So he bought a van, which he still has today, which is 30 years old it doesn't drive anymore so it's not mobile knife sharpening it's a dead van stuck in the front yard of the house that i grew up in and people drop their knives at mum's pre-loved clothing shop and dad sharpens knives so wow. as a kid i'd get teased because i only had secondhand clothes um dad had a van that um politically incorrect i can't say what the, the kids used to tease me at school for coming to school in but a high roof van um, I can imagine. Yeah. So I just wanted to wear new clothes, have nice things and do it my own way because I knew my parents could never really help me. And it was only when my grandma died and um, I was 19, um, she left me $10,000 and my sister. Yeah. And I said to my sister who was in high school at the time, she was 17, we're going to buy a house. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, we'll find someone to loan us money. We're going to buy a house. So as you can imagine, all the banks said no, all the lenders said no. And there was a guy who locally had a lending business in Mornington. And I just hassled and hassled him for, I don't know, six months. He may tell a different story. Maybe it was less, maybe it was more. And he eventually just goes, all right, have it and gave us some money. And I was like, oh, what am I going to buy? So I bought the first thing that I could see and it was just this little unit on the beach in Rosebud and I've still got it. Rose, so, fantastic. Yeah. Along this journey, you've also done some pretty interesting studies. So you've gone in and you've done uh, dietitian type studies. Mm -hmm. There was one that you I saw in there, a bariatric dietitian. Yeah. Tell me about this bariatric dietitian. Or so I started working, um, first I had my own clinic and then as uh, it expanded, I moved into other medical centres and um, so we're, we're across 10 medical centres and we manage the services for three private hospitals. And at the start of all of that, um, I was introduced to one of the weight loss surgeons uh, through the hospital and um I really found it fascinating to understand how people um, had tried every diet imaginable and still couldn't lose weight and needed to have the surgery. And I wanted to learn more about that and understand what truly was stopping their metabolism from working, causing them to gain weight even when they're not eating or they're not eating much. And some of them are actually exercising as well. And Wanting to understand that, I think, led me to um, eventually where I am today with BeFit Food. I not only wanted to give people the help and the, the service, but I wanted to help them with a product that when they left 
the clinic and they followed my advice. They took the meal plans, but then they got kicked in the guts by whatever life threw at them. So it could be they were kept back at work and they couldn't go food shopping or they didn't have time to cook or they were traveling for a lot of them. Um, You know, they could be interstate or even overseas for weeks at a time. They actually had no control over their food during those periods. And their body and their metabolism had just really shut down on them. And um, fat cells precipitate fat cells. So the more fat cells you get, the more fat cells you will get. And it just gets to the point of no return. And these people, um, you know, from the outside, I might look different to them, but on the inside, their suffering and what they were going through, I just, I could feel it because I heard the story so many times. And seeing 10,000 patients all tell you how, helpless they feel and how much they you know they really despise being in their body that um they see themselves differently to the way the world sees them just because they're bigger than what they used to be they don't see themselves any different and i thought how do i go home and help people clear out the pantries clear out the fridge freezer cook the food for them and you know you can't do that on scale and it was that point in time when I went, I, I just think the answer is not in the service on its own, the service and the counselling people need as a follow-up, but they need a kickstart. Yeah. They need something that actually inspires them that it is going to work this time. And Bit of a circuit breaker. Yeah, and that's with, I was writing the food plans and when people stuck to the food plans, they were highly successful, but the, the problem was not many people could stick to it for yeah. more than a week or two. It just got monotonous got too hard they got too busy so they would always say to me oh can't you just make the food or can't you tell me where I can buy it or this or that and I looked through everything that was on the market because I wanted to give them an easier solution and in the end the weight loss surgeon I was working with said to me if you don't make the food we can't recommend people go on this sort of approach anymore before weight loss surgery Um, He wanted to put them on bars and shakes diets and that's not because he's any different to any other bariatric surgeon in the world. It's just the global gold standard is before surgery you go on a rapid weight loss diet and they're all synthetic, artificial bars and shakes that don't encourage good lifelong behaviour change. It just didn't make sense to me to set someone up um, without the right tools from the beginning and then when they lose weight they start to regain it after who knows two ten years whatever it is but when the weight regain comes back again they're stuck and um (laughs) they just don't know what to do when that weight comes back on so it's really a case of creating or educating them with the tool that is real food that they can follow on for the rest of their life and you know our goal is to say read the ingredients list make it yourself it's super simple here's a portion throw it in the takeaway container make your own we don't as silly as it sounds we don't want the customer for life we want the customer to be successful which means they can then make their own calls about their life so i mean (laughs) this is interesting because you know it sounds to me that there's a combination of factors that um, led to you starting BeFit Food. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, from an entrepreneurial sense, there's a problem. Yeah. Um, you've seen a, a solution and there was a gap in the market. So mm-hmm. all of these boxes are ticked, but you were still working for someone else at the time. Yeah. And it sounds to me this this surgeon saying, you know, you should do this and sort of prompting you. What was the moment where you go, okay, 
I've seen enough. I know this is the, the path I need to pursue. Yeah, so just a slight correction. It, it was my business I was working in, but um, we were contracting together right. basically. Okay. So I think I saw the opportunity that a doctor and a surgeon actually liked my idea and what I was doing and could see the efficacy in it, but he didn't have the tools to do it on his own either. So the two of us together went, this is such an opportunity with all of the weight loss surgery that's going on in Australia, let alone along around the world. And the only product that they're using before surgery is bars and shakes diets. And post-surgically, they go back to their, some of them anyway, their old eating behaviors once weight loss stops. And it made me think as a dietitian, well, why can't someone actually eat the food and not have surgery? Why can't they go on a program, yep. lose the weight, not need surgery? So that was really my ultimate goal. And for some people, if they have the discipline, they can do that. Yep. And for other people, they choose that they want to have the surgery anyway. But at least we've started them on food and they end on food. And it really grew from there that we saw these people that didn't want to have surgery because they lost so much weight. But the side effect of that was they went off all their medications, their blood pressure went to normal, their cholesterol, they got rid of their diabetes, um, their fatty livers would shrink and they'd have normal healthy sized livers, which was really the goal for surgery that you need to be able to operate on someone's stomach. You need to shrink their liver so that yep. you can actually find the stomach and um, it's with the tools and everything else. So the things that we achieved, we didn't realize would be the side, the side effects would be so positive as opposed to weight loss surgery, which does have a death risk. And unfortunately, that's real and it does happen. You've got- so there's a couple of things that jump out at me and these are questions I want to ask. Mm. Um, you know, the media is a very good way to spread good influence uh, and especially a product like yours, which has a, a net benefit to society. But at the same time, the same channel that's uh, presenting that is presenting like something like KFC $2, shut up and take my money, which <laughs> flies completely in the face. So how do you win in an environment where you, you want to use these tools to promote mm. your business and the healthy eating, but you're up against, you know, another budget of a huge global conglomerate that's happy to throw as many calories down your throat for $2? I think at the end of the day, our promise is to look after the long-term health of the customer. So short-term, it doesn't matter what you do in life short-term because most of the time the long road and the long-term plan actually supersedes it. So we really look at how do we educate them for even those moments, those days, those weeks that they're on the program, what are they learning? So we, we've got podcasts, we've got lots of educational material, all the EDMs we send out, but more so than that, the product itself, it's very clearly got the right portion size, the right carbs, the right protein, the right fat, yeah. the right balance of all the vitamins and minerals. And within two to four days, without fail, anybody who goes on the program and sticks to it turns around and says, I feel really different. Something's changing. Yeah. And 
you know, the first two to four days can be horribly painful for someone who's changing their diet from yes. being appalling to being incredibly good. symptoms yeah. and sugars and all yep. of this sort of thing. Yeah. So, but for most of them, there's this turning point there where they go, I've never felt like I have so much energy. I'm actually not hungry anymore. And all of a sudden they're eating this nutritionally complete diet that satisfies them. The hard thing they always say though is, they look at the food and they look at the plate and it's smaller than what they're used to seeing. Yeah. Or they're used to eating for, you know, 20 minutes and they finish off their meal in two minutes thinking, what's next? So we actually have to teach them to distract themselves after meals, to go for a walk, to have a side salad or side veggie. So they're still eating, but they're not eating the wrong things. And, you know, we're teaching them ways for long-term, how they actually improve their appetite control, how they give their body what it needs so it doesn't actually crave things anymore. So a lot of people crave foods because they've got these blood sugar levels going up and down all day. And, you know, they go up after eating the wrong thing, but they crash down and then all of a sudden you get these cravings and Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I think it's really interesting. There's there's a couple of there's a couple of things to to unpack there um, specifically. I mean, you've got you know an area where you're saying massive change in behaviour is required, mm. and from a business perspective, when you talk about someone having to change behaviours, you start to think, oh, marketing dollars. Like I'm going to have to get inside their head. I'm going to have to inspire them, or they're going to have to learn something different. With something like this, obviously, there's there's a desire of the customer to make that change, mm. so they've already got it within them. But, you know, how do you uh, get all this information across to a consumer and get them to make a leap um, when obviously there's physical barriers, mental barriers and whatever, but you, at, in a marketing sense, you've got to get a change in behaviour. Yeah, and look, it's the storytelling. It's um, our podcasts that talk to people that have gone through their own weight loss journey everyone's had a journey with weight changes or most people have anyway and as soon as they hear a story that resonates with them they go oh maybe this is something that will actually work for me they want to have that human connection they want to know that someone else is suffering as much as them not feeling comfortable in their own skin anymore and that human connection the storytelling the testimonials um, not always the reviews because a lot of the time with reviews you get people going oh that food tastes like crap but my dog would need it and they're used to eating you know we say uh, a stir fry right it's got no sugar no salt high protein low carbs so you're not going to find rice or noodles or pasta in there and they go it's not like the one I get at the Chinese restaurant it's a bit watery It's not full of MSG. It's not full of sugar. It doesn't have the thickness in it. It's missing all the rice and the noodles, but it will change your health. And if you stick to it, look at all the people. We've got a a Facebook foodies group with about 5,000 people in it that are raving fans of the program. So if you want to ask a question, you ask them and they will tell you exactly what to eat, what it feels like, when it's hard, what to do. And they've made all of the mistakes. So we don't even really intervene in that group. We let them just have the banter and the chat yep. because there's good and bad with any program. But it, at the end of the day, you want something that is good for your long-term health. And you've got a community of advocates there. I mean, that's, you know, that's an ideal tool. Um, but go, let's go back right to the, the start where you mm. decide, I'm going to start making meals. So how, what does that look like? <laughs> what does day one oh, of that look like? Oh. 
So this is how it starts. I'm consulting as a dietitian and I have a one-year-old at the time. I have 23 staff in my own business, three private hospitals, 10 medical centers, just a little bit busy. And I'm about, what am I, 30 something weeks pregnant. And we're working on this idea and a couple of months into it, I've literally given birth. I've got a six a six week old baby in my arms, and the surgeon says to me, "You know what? You just have to make the meals. You do the meals." And I was like, "Cool, all right." With my one year old, my six week old, my other so business. So you, you've launched at this stage. You've decided you're we've do just it. decided to yep. do it. So I, I thought, how do I do this? And I hired a chef. I yep. hired a a lone kitchen, like an area in a kitchen, um, a partial part of a kitchen. And literally within a couple of months, we grew out of that space and um, very grateful for having the space, but we got kicked out because we grew so quickly. We were taking up all the room and all the deliveries that were coming in. And we eventually bought our own um, area or space. Um, it was a fish and chip shop that we bought for a dollar. So my best friend's... Uh, partner at the time, he's a good bargainer, and yep. they had this place up for sale. Next thing you know, we've taken it over with everything inside it, the cool rooms. The- I take it the deep fryer that didn't it get was much all of, there. Didn't get much of a everything workout though from there. that point forward. We actually got to sell it all, which was great. So people pay good money for these things. And um, the bit that was a real bummer though is it came with three cool rooms that didn't work. So uh, that was a pain, but we sold off whatever was in there that we couldn't use and that was our starting space. And how do you and how do you get the first customers? Did you actually get to sort of jump the queue and say, well, rather than put these people who are getting the the surgery onto shakes, we're going to start feeding them this food or recommend yeah. this as an option? Yeah, well, for the first 2 years I still had to work in my business to bring in income to pay to run BeFit Food. So for every meal we sold, I had to contribute $5. (laughs) And so did the surgeon. But um, tongue in cheek, surgeons don't run out of money as quickly as dietitians. So they just got to a point in time where I couldn't afford to work two full-time jobs with two children and contribute to someone else's yes. eating fund. Yes. So it's quite a bit of a loss, a loss leader, I think they call it. It was, yeah. And that's what inspired me to do Shark Tank. So as naive as I was, I knew that um, people don't give you money for nothing unless you've got a great story. So and, and how long was that story in sort of, pardon the pun, gestation, you know, from taking it from, okay, I'm, I'm losing money, I've... But people like the product. There is a market for mm. it. To um, deciding to get up on any sort of forum to raise money. Had you? Uh, how, how long was that period of time? And were it you looked- looking at? Sorry, <laughs> were you looking at other funding options? I really had been a worker bee my whole life. I, the only way I knew how to get money was to earn it. Um, and you know, I knew the banks wouldn't give me money and the, the Richie's home loan guy, he'd, he'd been stretched on three properties prior to this. So I feel like, you know, we'd used all of the lifelines there and I just, no one had talked to me about that. I just, I didn't know about it. My parents had never done it. And my parents are the sort of people that don't have credit cards. You know, they don't. Debt that, is a bad word. That's right. Yeah. So the idea of getting a loan for something that we're already losing money on was just not on the cards. So um, 
In with Shark Tank, I guess I thought that I would go on the show and they'd hand over a check and run the business. And that was the furthest thing away from what actually happened. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So I've, I've been involved on an advisory side to someone who got a Shark Tank offer. Mm-hmm. So I've seen um, at first hand some of the, the goings on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as simple as... Uh, smiling, doing a good presentation. Uh, someone gives you money, and then you're sitting next season on the Shark Tank, <laughs> giving other people money. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a lot more to it than that. So, what was the first thing that struck you after someone said, "Yep, like to invest"? Um, tell us about that. I guess the whole going on the show itself. I I really started to get nervous as it approached because I, I watched every episode ever made. I took notes on every question ever asked and I thought, I need to know so much about this business that I don't even know. So it was a boot camp for me just going on it to learn what is a P&L, what is a balance sheet, uh, what is a GP, what are all these things they talk about. So I actually boot camped myself on learning all of the things that I didn't know before Shark Tank. And Going on there, you watch them tear people's, uh, their businesses or their, their personalities or whatever it or is. both. Both apart, <laughs> yeah, if they don't like the yeah. way it's presented. So I was very cautious that I was running a successful business and that it could be damaging to my reputation right. yeah. as a professional and my other contracts. So I guess it, it just got to the point where I thought it's all or nothing. What am I doing this for? Something has to give and... Um, yeah, coming out of Shark Tank thinking I'm going to walk out with a check. We get a photo and it's a happy photo. I've actually pitched for two hours and 45 minutes, so it's not the seven minutes right. to air. Right, it's quite an ordeal. It's an ordeal. It's standing on the red carpet with cameras in your face. You can't, I don't know, scratch your nose, have a glass of water. You can't do any of those things. You just... You can't say, can I come back to you? Can I look it up? You have to know every number off the top of your head and you have to know it perfectly because they will tear it apart. And <laughs> the process after that was nearly a year of due diligence and being told every single month, no, 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 we take back the offer. It just doesn't stand anymore. It's not stacking up. It's not what we thought it was. And yeah. I just wouldn't stop going back like the poor guy from Richie's home loans. I just, I'm like, you know what? I have a great idea and this is going to work and I'm not going to stop doing was it, it until a test? you invest. Was it a test? Yeah, to keep coming back and saying no, no, no. Oh, that's, I'll have to ask Janine that. I'll find out. Yeah, I don't okay. know. It felt pretty real. <laughs> there was tears towards the end, but um, you know what? It goes to air and all of... What I thought were my dreams came true, although I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy anymore. We sold, we planned to sell 800 boxes worth of food, our rapid weight loss program. And within the first couple of minutes, we sold two and a half thousand. Yeah, yeah. So we'd only prepared 200 because we thought we could catch up and we could never catch up. So did it line up that the due diligence finished when it uh, the, the episode goes to air? Or have you gone to air miles before the due diligence? We went to air a a month before the due diligence cleared. So I guess the proof was in the pudding. So when we went to air, 
you know, we'd never had more than 100 people on our website at a time. And all of a sudden there's 1,000, 10,000, 50,000, 70,000 and the website crashes and we're like, what's going on? We didn't even know we were selling food because the website wasn't live. So it, it but orders had snuck through. And the next day I went into our, our office or warehouse. It was actually... Um, Let's just say a warehouse. It was a warehouse with a freezer, no walls and one desk at the front, <laughs> all concrete, no furniture. And I'd plugged in all of these phones that um, a friend of a friend had recommended me to someone who did those internet phones. And I'd also called one of his friends that had a call centre. I thought, what if the phones get yeah. really busy? Called in all my friends to come in the next day and just see what happens. So we get in there, all seven phone lines are ringing out. The call center's 35 phone lines are ringing out and there is about a kilometre line down the road of people waiting to collect the food that they'd ordered and paid for on TV last night. That's unbelievable. We, um, I'd asked my, you know, chef at the time to um, prepare 800 boxes. You know, worst case scenario, if we don't sell them, we'll sell them over the next couple of years. And... That night when we watched it on TV, um, I said to him, so how long is it going to take us to catch up? Like if we sell thousands and he's like, oh, I need to tell you something. Um, I thought you were full of shit and I only made 200 boxes. (laughs) So (laughs) that wasn't so fun. So all of these people that have come to help the next day and the 63 people that I gave a job within four weeks of that happening, so I went from a team of five to 63 in four weeks, um, they helped me um, fight off all these angry people. Oh, my God. Um, and we put them on wait lists. We refunded. We did whatever we could do to survive. And strangely enough, the majority of people were happy to wait six weeks to get their food. So there's a heap of bad reviews and most of the bad reviews that we have are from Shark Tank. When we were thrown in the deep end, I drowned. There's, I, you know? there's, there's some re- I mean, there's some really interesting stuff there because I think, you know, one thing that entrepreneurs um, take personally is, you know, not having a customer's bad, hmm. but having an unhappy customer's Ooh. worse. Yeah. The other thing that strikes me is why didn't the sharks, you had – 11 months to go through due diligence, back and forth, different discussions. Mm. Why did they say, you know, we're going to air, you've got to scale up. This is the kind of numbers you're going to get. You need to prepare your web servers and all of this. I mean, surely someone along the line thought, oh, maybe, especially if I'm investing, it's a good idea (laughs) to kind of let you know that here's a good opportunity to capitalise. To be honest, because we were losing money, every single month because we didn't we had this kitchen and we had chefs cooking food we just weren't selling enough and between Jeff and I we invest in the science so I was forever doing product development finding new ingredients improving things with food lab testing so we were hemorrhaging money to build a first class product that we were selling for a you know a pleb seat price so um that's what was happening. We yeah. were building something that Jeff and I, as medical professionals, knew that there was a demand for because anybody we talked to yeah. wanted it. But um, if you don't live in our little bubble, you don't know that every customer that we're seeing or patient needs this and wants this and yeah. that they, you don't know they're looking for it because it's not you. And um, so, yeah, it was it was really just a case of, 
no one actually believed it was going to work, I think. Did you believe it was going to work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the head chef didn't at the time. No. Well, and I should ask the question. I could always edit it out. Is he still head chef? Uh, well, he was actually our production manager, so okay. he was above our head chef. Our head chef was actually our apprentice, and he's still with us because he believed. Yeah. He stuck around, and the poor, I'm going to call him a kid because he was so much younger than me, he worked his butt off. Like, I'm talking, I don't even know, 17-hour days or something like that because he wanted it to work. Yeah. He just didn't want to give up on it. Yeah. And, um He's with us today and he's incredible. And the production manager, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's uh, not really unshakable faith, is it? There? Yeah. Um, so let's debunk a few more myths about Shark Tank because it is fascinating. I mean, I've watched the series. I'm a particular big fan of the, the British uh, series that I think kicked it all off. Yeah. I've watched a bit of the American series and uh, the Australian series, as I've said, I've been on around the fringes of a couple of things that have gone on. So, you know, how much for an entrepreneur, um, and there's a lot of people listening who are, you know, want to be an entrepreneur or aspire to own their own business, how much is glamorised and how much is real? Oh, it's all glamorised. It's all glamorised. And it is just hard work every single day so dad was right about something if you don't love it don't do it and I live and breathe it but it's also my lifelong passion okay so deal gets done yep how do you turn around the business where you you know you go I don't want to sell too much because Mm. we're losing money um solving a problem in business is one thing product market fit yep people like the product yes there's a problem terrific Managing margins, managing supply chains, managing logistics, all against the backdrop of very competitive space where people know Weight Watchers, light and easy. Mm. It's hard for the uninformed to distinguish between these brands. How do you navigate all of these journeys? I think the best piece that came out of Shark Tank was choosing to go with Janine. We actually had Janine and Steve Baxter make us offers and um, there was you know room on the table for others at the time. And I'd gone on the show after reading her book and recognising that she did what she did with four children, no money, got herself in a heap of debt and really just kept working hard. And, you know, there's no luck in it. It's just hard work. And I thought that's someone that I can work with, someone who has the the work ethic that I have, has the family, manages to somehow do it all. And I just literally would throw Janine all of my problems. And (laughs) I learned very quickly, she couldn't solve the problems, but we could talk through all the the mistakes that she'd made that I could learn from or the opportunities that were out there. Or she just had the connections of people to ask. So I remember one day our yogurt supplier kept running out of yogurt because we're ordering between two to 400 kilos a week to make these breakfast pods. And I was like, how can they just keep running out? And so I called her up and she was overseas at the time and she just passed over the details for her supplier with Boost Juice. And straight away, I'm on the phone to whoever, you know, is the main person there. And I, you know, things happen. Yeah. So, um, it was really who you know that helped me get through and it 
yeah, the smoke and mirrors is no one does it for you. She's not doing it for me. Yeah, she's, yeah. She's there to tell you, have a crack at it, try these people, see how this goes. And the biggest thing was the confidence that she said to me that it doesn't matter if you make a mistake, no matter how big the mistake is. And I made some massive <laughs> mistakes. Yeah. As long as you don't make it twice. And yeah. I tell you what, you learn pretty quickly when um, you make it the first time because you are you don't want to front up and admit to it. But when you do, you just, you know, you're warned with just don't do it again. Yes. And, okay. <laughs> yeah. Most investors are pretty patient, but most investors won't tolerate the same mistake twice. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And you only need to make that mistake once to realize that that's not one you yeah. made twice. Yeah. Yeah. So you learn quickly. And look, when your own money's on the line, so I had more money invested than, you know, what the investor had. So, you know, my money was on the line yes. as well. Yeah. So, well, actually, maybe not quite. Maybe she had more then. She bought in. But a as a percentage, more, I'm yeah. sure. It's, yes, as a percentage. It hurts so you more if it, it goes hurt back. me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's another interesting thing. The the sort of, you know, bringing an investor on is is one thing. Uh, bringing a strategic investor on or a mentor mm. is obviously very smart, someone who can open doors. A lot of investors I've worked with in the past have promised that, but, you know, opening doors is not something that they've been particularly great at. Being mentors and mm. learning from experiences is great. But the other thing, again, from a, a viewer's perspective, watching this on TV is that it does glamorise it. You know, you see, I'm sure people saw Kate gets money mm. from Janine and, you know, again, next mm. season Kate's going to be in the chair because she's going to be successful. Mm-hmm. There's still the pit, the bit that gets lost in the TV and the glamour is the execution, is the yeah. graft, is the still the decisions you need to make mm. and um, it's not glamorous at all. No, and to be honest too, I think the key word is the execution that – a lot of people that I've worked with over the years just aren't good at executing. So nothing actually ever happens with their businesses. Yep. Um, and that's even if they get started. So a lot of people have these great business ideas, but they never execute anything. Yes. And, you know, one of my biggest flaws is certainly acting too quickly on things. But on the other hand, it means we're always first moving, to market. We're always moving forward. Yep. and. You know, apologies to my team. We're, we are trying 100 new things a week and I expect that 99 of them won't work. Yeah. And they see that as a waste of time and I see that as a let's see which one sticks because all of these things are worthwhile but it doesn't mean they're going to work. Yeah. So Yeah, well, lack of inertia is the biggest killer in business and yeah. you can see in this crazy disruptive world we live in, even the massive companies that you think are rolled gold and going to continue to de- deliver blue chip returns, they get disrupted because they get, well, I think the phrase is fat, dumb and happy. Mm. You know, they think these profits will continue. Mm. And so people don't think about all of these things. And, you know, if you're not moving forward, if you're not looking at mm. 99 different things, then, well, certainly as a CEO, you're probably not doing your job well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think a lot of people ask me, you know, what goes in your PD? What do you do on a normal day? I was like, where do you want me to start? If they've run out of toilet paper, I'm going to the supermarket. If, um, I don't know, a customer walks in the door, I'm serving a customer. If um, something breaks in the warehouse, I'm over there helping the team clean it up. And then getting the big stuff done is 
For me, some people do the, the early mornings where they do their deep work. I exercise in the morning. I take my kids to school and then I go into work. My deep work happens late at night when everyone else has left the office and I've actually finally caught up on everything and I've got some me time. And I think reflecting on COVID, um, you know, it obviously had its good and its bad, but the good for me was I got a lot of that deep thinking time in the evenings and when no one else was there and I could make some big changes and I could really, you know, the vision got so much clearer this year um, and all of these things that we'd been working on for three years finally came to fruition. That's great. Yeah. yeah, accelerated uh, a whole lot of the ideas and yeah. that gave the backdrop to execute on some of them. Yeah, because other things slowed down. So yeah. we lost our retail stores, we lost our seven click and collect sites, you know, we lost a large percentage of the team. So all of a sudden, sudden you're not busy being busy, you're actually just working on the growth strategy and nothing else. And the deliveries could keep going. Yeah, deliveries were fine. And that's that's what really skyrocketed because with lockdown, there was nowhere you could go. So you had to get it home delivered. I should have got on it earlier. Otherwise, I wouldn't (laughs) have put on these COVID kilos. Well, that's a winner for us now. (laughs) We love the COVID kilos. Yep. (laughs) I was going to ask you, some some people are good at starting companies. Um, Some are managing them. And you've got abilities at all ends of the the business spectrum, but what do you think your core strength in business is? It's my vision and my dreaming and the Walt Disney little piece of me that I found when I was 14 that I didn't even know what that word entrepreneur is. It's it's the vision and the dream and the, the belief that whatever I set my mind to, I can do and I'm unstoppable and at any cost, unfortunately. So... Well, that, that, that takes care of my next question. Why do you think you've succeeded to date? Um, you seem also to have a bit of an appetite for risk. I mean, you've taken some pretty big risks. Why do you think you've got an appetite for risk? Not moving is going backwards, I guess, and even thinking about, you know, that first decision to tell my sister, who's still at high school at the time, we're buying a house. She's like, well, how do we pay for this? And I was like, oh, don't worry about that. We've already got, I've got seven jobs, you've got four, you can share the other three of mine. And my sister and I actually both worked the seven casual jobs and we interchanged shifts so that we could do them all, all the time. As long as you're not scared of hard work, you'll always make ends meet. You've covered motivation, you've covered, you know, your interest, your Uh, got all the secrets to success, hard work, discipline, you know. Um, What do you think, why do you think others fail at business? Just be prepared to put the hard work in. Nothing comes for nothing. And look, if you've been given things in the past, that's not going to take you to the next step. Just be prepared to work for it. And um, it's not short term either it, it, it's always more than you think it's going to be yeah yeah it actually just doesn't fall out of the sky and land in your lap you've just got no. to turn the wheel every day yeah. sometimes harder than others but you've got to be there yeah turning the wheel that that book grit and having the quality of grit and trying to instill that in your children um so to finish off the quick fire round so who's been a professional inspiration to you Janine Ellis. Yeah. No brainer. Easy. Yeah. Kindest thing anyone's ever said to you. Oh, kindest thing anyone's ever said. 
any I can't think of a moment, but the glory for me was really when as a team we won the Telstra Business oh, Awards yeah. for Victoria. That recognition that this mess that I had created was being recognized as something that was worthy of an award. That was that felt kind. It's not something I can think of someone saying. I'm sure there are things, but um have to sit on that one. Okay, for a no worries. If you got hit by a bus today and killed, what is the one thing you would say? Oh God, I wish I'd done that. Said goodnight to my kids every night. Started doing that even if I get home late. I I don't care if I wake them up and it's eleven or twelve o'clock. Just kiss them goodnight every night. That's a very nice place to be. Um, speaking of places to be, if you could go anywhere else in the world now for dinner, where would you go? Oh, just somewhere warm where I could sit outside and I wouldn't be bothered with the food. I'd just eat pina coladas and <laughs> um, banana-ramas and the chocolatey one. What's that called? I don't know. Oh, oh I do. yes. They're, I can live on that. I don't need food. I could live on cocktails. <laughs> Favourite movie? <laughs> Favourite movie. Oh, Pay It Forward. It's Haven't incredible. seen it. It's an oldie, but it's good. Favourite singer? Oh, Salt and Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I saw them at a 90s concert oh my a few God. years ago. Yeah, it was the first concert I ever went to and the last now. <laughs> what culture fascinates you? Oh, I, I guess I love the, the family people. So Europe and the Italians and the culture of the food, the wine, um, the time not being as important um, and, and even like your little afternoon naps. I know that's a bit more Greece. Um, and Spain. Yeah, I love Spain, a good siesta. Yeah, yeah, siestas, Spain. Yeah. It, that culture, I know that when I'm in Europe, I feel like time doesn't matter, which is really good for someone who has a problem managing their time. It's um, perfect. Yeah. It's my favourite place to be just without a watch and, you know, Wake up when you wake up and go to bed when you're tired. <laughs> 2022, bring it on. Um, what advice would you give for young female entrepreneurs? Never give up. And don't listen to people who tell you you can't. Because you said female, if it was just an entrepreneur in general, I'd just say don't give up. But as a female, I hate to admit it, you definitely, definitely don't get the same level of respect initially unfortunately and I've had many many um, unkind things said yeah yeah so it's probably breaking through both conscious and unconscious bias as well well listen I think it's, it's great advice your story is inspirational um, I know you've got your evening thinking time coming up so thank you for taking some time away from uh, beef fit food good luck with uh, the expansion for 2021. Thank you. Thank you very much for being on Discipline. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. (laughs)